Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of uh, Pastors of Pain. Uh, I'm Father Brian O'Brien, pastor of St. Francis Xavier Catholic Church here in Stillwater, Oklahoma. Uh, school's out. Uh, the summer is upon us. The mask mandate is over. Uh, COVID is not gone, but mostly gone. Uh, and also gone is Father Kerry. He is not here with us. He is uh, he's on retreat, so he just got he'll tell you all about it, I'm sure, when he's back, but he took a little trip to the Midwest with a bunch of students visiting various shrines in St. Louis and I saw a video of him at Lambeau Field in Green Bay, which is like a religion, but but uh, you know, close. Anyway, so as we do when when one of us isn't here, we love to have wonderful and special guests. And today is such a day uh, because I'm joined here in the studio. By Deacon Tom Cabean of St. Francis Xavier. Thank you so much for the invitation. What I appreciate a joy. being here. Uh, I'm sure we'll have a nice conversation. No doubt about it. So Deacon Tom is uh, is kind of new on the Stillwater scene, uh, but That's not, right. kind of not anymore. I mean, you know, he's he's been around enough where, uh, but he just has a, a fascinating family, a fascinating history. Uh, in 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 converting to Catholicism and then becoming a deacon, uh, I first when you let's see you reached out to I don't know it was probably three or four years ago, and said hey uh, I live in I'm a deacon in Connecticut and I might be moving to Stillwater. Tell That's us about right. so, tell us about the move. So uh, I have a son who is uh, a scientist. He's a, been on the show. A molecular biologist. Yeah, he's been on the show. And um, he, uh, when he was considering this job, he asked me if, if he took a job out here. Because we have a very close family, he asked if I would consider retiring from my secular work and uh, moving out here. And uh, so I said, absolutely. If you, uh, you know, I had never given a consideration to Oklahoma. Most people have. Uh, That's okay. And so, uh, but believe it or not, there are connections here. So, uh, anyway, uh, he he accepted the job at OSU, and uh, we came out and visited him. It was, I think, on the maybe the second visit that we that we came out here is when I first met yeah, you. You and yeah. I had uh, we had breakfast together. Jimmy's egg at Jimmy's egg. That's right. And um, and we were looking for a house to buy. We we yes, ended up. Yes, uh, I remember that. Yeah, wow. I ended up visiting, and we we wanted to be fairly close to them, you know, close enough that we could we could see one another regularly. And as it turned out, but we won't go down this road. Uh, <laughs> now you live next I, door. I ended up buying the house next door to him. Yeah, <laughs> God's providence. And uh, we had it. Uh, so I'm glad you bring that up because uh, I have to say, in my life, I've had a rather unusual life, but I see in this life a lot of God's providence yes. and a lot of stuff that happened in my life. I did not see the value of it at the time. In fact, I couldn't figure out what was going on. But um, so let me start out. Uh, my, uh, I, I'm an Arizona boy. I moved here from Connecticut, but Connecticut is not my home. I was, I was born and raised in I Arizona. I always associate you more with Connecticut just because that's where, yeah, that's well, where I, you came yeah, from. Yeah, and I spent a lot of years there. But then, like, you, you know, you speak Spanish, and you, exactly. you, know, you kind of have a little Western so there's uh, something, flair to yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I lived in, in the in the East for a half a century, and I still never felt at home there. Yep. That tells you about how old I am. Uh, 
But um, my dad, believe it or not, was an honest-to-God cowboy. He, uh, When I was born, uh, my parents lived on a ranch in Holbrook, Arizona. Huh. And uh, my dad had horses and cattle. and um, So Stillwater is Stillwater very, is very much like home, believe it. it. Yeah. So, uh, wow. so we, uh, in 1953, my parents got involved. I was three years old at the time. I was born in 1950. And uh, my parents got involved with Jehovah's Witnesses. My dad had no religion before prior to that. My mother was a very nominal Methodist. And um, when her mother and the mother of another of her best friends started studying with Jehovah's Witnesses, they got involved. And uh, again, I could tell you a lot more about this, but yeah. my, my parents got very involved with the Witnesses. And my dad became sort of a, uh, a church planter, you would call it. Uh, we, among other places, we ended up in, in Cottonwood, Arizona, and um, my dad was the pastor of a little church there. Uh, when we came there, there was about four people, five people. Wow, that's and uh, yeah. when wow. we left there, that was that, that would have been uh, about uh, 1955 that we went there, and we left there in 1961. There was a, a, a whole church there, and probably 50, 60 people. Wow. Uh, and it, and it was in 1960 that my father got involved in uh, a, a ministry to the Spanish-speaking people. I was 10 years old, and that's when I began to learn Spanish, and that's how ah, I learned Spanish. That's how you know. So, I say Deacon Tom is is the is the best Spanish speaker that we have, and and since he moved here, our ministry to our Spanish speakers here in Payne County has just, I would say, du- doubled or, or tripled just based on his uh, his abilities. Well, I'm so happy to ha- be able to serve this. I love the the Spanish speaking people. We've I've, I've got a lot of very very dear friends uh, in that in the, uh, among the Spanish speaking people that I knew in Arizona yeah. and, and in California. Uh, we moved to El Centro, California, and and uh, was in a church there. Uh, that's very close to the border. And um, so uh, so let me actually back up. What what when you, what is what is a Jehovah's Witness? So because I, I think I mean I've been a Catholic my whole life. I've I know I've mm-hmm. known. Jehovah's Witnesses over in the course of my life, never like really well, and so I think that tr- just that that faith is not maybe familiar to a lot of people. Maybe not. You know, uh, when I was growing up, one of the things that Jehovah's Witnesses were known for was coming door to door with a Watchtower and Awake magazine. That's I out, think see? how most people know. Yeah, them. and that's They're the how people who knock on your door. Yep, the people who knock on your door on Sunday morning, on Saturday morning, and wake you up when you don't want to be <laughs> awakened. And I have been in that position not many times. And <laughs> but also, witnesses are known for a couple of other things, which turned out to be quite significant in my life. They. Uh, the witnesses are part of a. Uh, they are they are related, actually, sort of first cousins to the Seventh Day Adventists. Uh-huh. The witnesses were part of the Second Adventist movement that started in the 19th century, and uh, they uh, they were started out as a movement rather mm-hmm. than an actual separate mm-hmm. religion or cult. Um, they um, they changed significantly after the death of their first. Uh, leader who is a guy named Pastor Russell. Uh, so for the, for the first few decades, uh, people that were in that religion were very much like uh, members of other religions, 
Russell himself had been a Presbyterian, and uh, they were members of other religions who just kind of went along with that movement. So, um, but in the 20th century, they the witnesses sort of broke off as a separate movement, and uh, under the guidance of their second president, a guy named Rutherford, uh, they made a lot of stands about various religious issues, and they and because Russell or Rutherford, pardon me, was a a lawyer, he took uh, cases to the Supreme Court. Oh wow! And the witnesses probably are more responsible than any other particular religious group for establishing certain rights uh, in freedom supreme, of religion. Su- yeah. Freedom of yeah, freedom to go from door to door. Witnesses don't salute the flag. Mm-hmm. They got that that uh and in fact, believe it or not, mis- witnesses are known more for what they reject of traditional mm-hmm. Christianity than mm-hmm. what they accept. And so uh, they don't accept most of the major doctrines of, of uh, they don't accept the Trinity. They don't believe that Jesus died on a cross. They don't believe in the immortal soul. They don't believe in. Wow. Uh, Those are some pretty significant I mean, it, it's the, differences. And, yeah. and for that reason, the Catholic Church does not consider Jehovah's Witnesses to be uh, Christian enough that if you were baptized as a Jehovah's Witness, that baptism is not considered yeah, to be so a valid basic, baptism. Yeah, with the basic understanding that you must be baptized with water and in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's and, our and they're not done. They don't do it that yeah, way. That's our basic. Yeah. So we talk. Exactly Father Karen right. and I talk about like if you know someone's baptized as a Presbyterian, they're baptized with water, and they're they are a, a fellow Christian mm-hmm. in that sense. That's right. So, but but witnesses, I mean, believe in Christ, and I mean that was kind so, of a foundation. For you. Yes, they so. Their main focus, believe it or not, is is figuring out the time of Christ's return. They they believed for that during the first segment during Russell's time that Christ was going to return in 1914. Mm. Now in the in the 20th century, that day came and went, and they predicted other dates. Now when I really started to take the witness doctrine seriously. I was about 18 at the time, and I decided uh, to go to the headquarters. They have a school there and everything else, and I went to the world Kind of a seminary headqu- type of Yeah, they went, but I, I went there to, to help publish their publications. Mm-hmm. They have a huge printery there. Yeah. And uh, they they publish all kinds of publications. That's what their big thing is. And, that, and yeah, a lot it's of times all you see about them at big events, parades, mm-hmm. and I see them a lot at like big sporting events. They'll be on the corner. Yeah, exactly. Well dressed, mm-hmm. always well dressed, mm-hmm. and standing there with a kind of a, a literature rack. That's right. Ready to ready to talk to anybody. I've always I've actually I've always admired it. I mean. Yes, and Amazing many people have said, "I admire your zeal." And courage, I, you know, and zeal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really, it's it's inspirational. So I learned something very important about being a Jehovah's Witness. One is that that your religion ought to affect the way you live. It mm. it, it ought to, you know, you really ought to internalize it, and that's what I did as a witness. So uh, I went off to New York in 1968, and uh, I lived and worked at their world headquarters. I had a very very successful career at their headquarters. And uh, I was, uh, in fact, that's where I got my first start in radio. I They had a radio show that was syndicated on about 250. This is not Deacon Tom's first radio rodeo <laughs> right here. 
Radio Rodeo. I love that. <laughs> so uh, I actually, for a while, for about several years, became sort of the voice of the society. Anytime they had uh, really? publications. I yeah, that. Yeah, I was the go-to. You do to, have a good radio voice. I was the I've go-to guy. I you should read audio books. They always told me that I... I did, yeah. You for, did, yeah. For the <laughs> we're finding out all kinds of new things. <laughs> I've oh, had man. a lot of experiences in my career. That's amazing. Okay, keep going. So they always told me I had a face for radio, that's right? right? So <laughs> that's right. That's why we have a podcast. So um, when I went, when I began serving at the world headquarters, uh, I had a, a very successful career there, and I um, began to get to know the people that were really in charge of people that wrote their articles uh, in their publications. Um, and I happened to be there during a very important time of, of big changes in, in the Watchstar Society. And um, so as I began to s- study their doctrines more and more deeply, uh, I, I found pretty serious problems with them. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would go to the people that were writing the publications, and I said, "Well, what about this? What about that?" And and I and I found to my shock that many of them had seen the same problems. Oh, and they were not. Uh, they had no explanations for them. They were saying, "Yeah, that is a problem." Uh, and so I I was searching for answers. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses had. You know, when I went there, they had been sort of proclaiming that 1975 was going to be possibly the end. Of... When I was born, I'm so glad it didn't end. <laughs> Me too. Nice. <laughs> when 75 came and went, now I, I met my wife, Gloria, beautiful, lovely woman who uh, she also was a very devout Jehovah's Witness, and she had gone there to the Watchtower headquarters, uh, and I met her there. Uh, married her, and we decided to, um, to, you know, we were going to serve the last days of this system of things, as they call it, um, there at the headquarters. When 75 came and went, and I began to have some pretty serious doubts about about the, particularly their, the chron- chronological basis for their predictions, yeah. uh, I, I started questioning the the religion itself. Uh, in 1979, a, uh, a, a man from Sweden, a Jehovah's Witness, had been in the door-to-door work, and he encountered a professor of history. And I won't get into this because it's a long explanation, sure, sure. but one of the, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses' key dates was the destruction of Jerusalem in 607. And they've mm-hmm. got a bunch of calculations that bring them to 1914, et cetera. But suffice it to say for the for today that their, their big uh, thing was 607 BC mm-hmm. as the date for the destruction of Jerusalem. Now it turns out that uh, among historians of ancient history, uh, the destruction of Jerusalem is one of the most well-documented dates. And, of course, the big problem with ancient history is to try to find some way to correlate the calendar that they use, the ancient Chinese calendar or the ancient Akkadian calendar yeah, not, or whatever, with our so calendar. Well, right. You know, So it's like, uh, okay, so that was 
you know, the the Chinese started their calendar with a particular alignment of planets, and uh, and all ancient people had yeah, their calendars. So, but the the date of six of uh, the date of Jerusalem's destruction, which is five eighty six slash eighty seven, is is extremely well documented. So this professor challenged the well they were witness. going off 607 yeah they were going really off 607 it was 586. that's 580 yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly right yeah and that 20 years makes all the difference yeah. because if that date is wrong the whole thing collapses so i uh so what this this professor challenged this man uh this uh witness from sweden his name was johnson to provide evidence that uh, 607 was the date. So he took the challenge on. He went to the university library and studied up and found out that there were multiple lines, independent lines of evidence that pointed to 587. Mm-hmm. And uh, he put all this stuff into a big letter and sent it to the, to the headquarters of the Watchtower Society. And uh, it turned out that the guy who was... Uh, Working on their uh, the whole chronology thing, there was a per- very good personal friend of mine, and he shared that letter with me, and I read it probably four or five times, wow. and it shattered. I mean, the, the so the you're logic. how old at this point? I mean, you're thirty years old. Okay, yeah, twenty nine years old yeah. I was at the time that yeah. I read that. Wow, and so I came to the conclusion. My wife said that I was gray. That I just, I was just. It well, because you had to this point, you would give. It, I mean, at least I gave 10 my entire years, life. Yeah, years, exactly. Yeah. All my best yeah. years, uh, I'd given to this thing, and uh, and yet it, it was not true. So I I said um, I, I have to do something here. Uh, so I Your I decided first of all, yes, right, exactly, yeah. and I I I can do anything. Even die for something that I believe to be true, but I can't die for something that I don't believe to be true. Yep. Which, incidentally, is one of the proofs that we have of the of the truthfulness of the apostles and the and the yeah, early witnesses. You those won't early, die for a lie. Those early martyrs, yeah. <laughs> if they had made up that story of who Jesus was, you, you won't get thousands of people to die for that. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, we, we decided to leave the world headquarters in 1980. I had, by that time, I was very well known among witnesses. I, uh, and uh, so we left there because we wanted to start a family and we could not do that if, and remain members of their headquarters staff. We left the witnesses um, and people that I had begun talking to uh, started to drift away or they were they were leaving the Watchtower Society. And, and so they, uh, not just on my account, but on the account of, in fact, this man that had shared uh, the letter with me, his name is Franz. He was a member of their governing body. Mm. And um, Franz ended up writing a couple of books about uh, the witnesses, and I ended up publishing them for him because of my knowledge of the printing. Yeah, you were in the business. I, I became the head of their printing operations there in Brooklyn. And so by the time I was 27 years old, I had about 110 men reporting to me. Wow. Uh, and uh, we were printing, you know, millions and millions yep. of publications yep. every month. It was yep. a <laughs> wow. big operation, yeah. much bigger than people realized. We had 40 presses there running Is off that stuff. Right? That's right. Yikes. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So uh, 
I left the Watchtower Society, 1980. We had no money. We had no savings. And the the local congregation under the direction of the Watchtower Society, and this is another long story, but they ended up uh, ejecting us from the organization. Now, witnesses practiced shunning, which meant that all of our friends, all of our support structure, all of our uh, family were not allowed to have anything to do with us. Otherwise, they they themselves would be ejected from the organization. Wow. So it was like being a boat person, you know. I mean, in, in 1980, we lost. I lost my career. I lost my job. I lost my home. I lost my family. I lost all of my friends. Uh, we had, wow. uh, I mean, that was a but, very I mean, traumatic so, so thing. So the temptation, I would think, the temptation would be, let's just – stick it out you know let's, oh yeah let's just stay and i know i have i have theological yep. issues but for we gotta have a i gotta have a paycheck or i gotta couldn't do that um couldn't do that but i've always known yeah you're kind of a man of i'm of, just not uh, gonna do of, it because of, if you're it's a truth not guy. true yeah, yeah exactly yeah, if yeah. it's not true uh i just felt like honestly the way i thought about it at that time i felt like you know, imagine you're on a train and you're looking at the stations going past, and you, and as you look at the stations and you look at the schedule, you say, "I'm on the wrong train here." Yeah. And so the only thing to do is just get off the train. We'll even, figure out a way to get back. Yeah. You know, even, even if, if you got to jump off while right, it's moving. You gotta, yeah. So uh, so off we were, and we and we started to rebuild our life uh, without. Yeah, and, yeah. and unfortunately, my wow. parents, who were lovely people, they really are, but they but they were big, true believers in this religion, and they, too, followed their, their conscience. They, in their conscience, they couldn't have anything to do with me. So uh, my m- lovely sons, Matthew and, and Jim, you know, grew up without grandparents uh, wow. because on both sides, my, you know, my wife has a brother who hasn't spoken to her since 1981, uh, never have anything to do with wow. us. So, uh, but we moved along. Incredible. Um, uh, functionally, for probably six or seven years, I was a, an agnostic. I, I, I was devout, but I had no idea where to find truth. I felt that maybe the right way to find it was research. So I so spent- So you were not church going? No this, church, no. Phase. I didn't go to any church. I, was, I didn't trust any of the churches. Mm-hmm. Um, so I bought a bunch of commentaries on the scripture, and I thought that was you know like learning Hebrew and Greek and uh, trying to uh, learn as much as I could was the answer. And uh, when my boys got a little older, we felt like they needed some Christian association, and so we uh, or we did, first of all we started a, a a support group for former witnesses. Oh, yeah. And uh, we started a group called Biblical Research and Commentary International. About fancy uh, sounding, yeah. We, it, it doesn't sound very threatening, you <laughs> yeah, know. To yeah. uh, and we helped thousands of witnesses to get out of the Watchtower Society. It's quite traumatic for them to do it. We had a a, a counselor. We had uh, a toll free line. This was before the internet and everything. So uh, uh, we had a whole big group of people, and we had a conference, uh, an annual conference every year, and you know, hundreds of people came there, and uh, and we met met wow. them and. Uh, I got a lot of stories I could tell about that, yeah, but, we, yeah, but yeah. we won't go down yeah. that road either. So agnostic um, for eight years, and, and then you jumped in And then in we on decided it. that we needed to have – I just came to the conclusion that there had to be some kind of community, yep. Christian community. Yep. So uh, just a mailing came out inviting us to a little uh, Christian, missionary and Al- a Christian and Missionary Alliance church. We went there for a year, year and a half. They didn't have a very robust youth program, so mm-hmm. we – we switched over about 19, 
91, I think, to, um, to Grace Baptist Church. Um, I taught uh, adult Sunday school classes there for 14 years, and I was uh, an elder, um, and, and I continued to do research. I had come to the conclusion I would read one commentary about Scripture, and the commentary had uh, proof texts and, and solid logic, and they would come to a, one conclusion. Let's say, for example, like whether you should baptize infants. Mm-hmm. If you read a Presbyterian commentary, you'll find good logic, good reasoning, scriptural proof texts that prove that you are uh, that you ought to baptize infants. Yeah. Uh, if you look up a a, a, a a Baptist commentary, you'll find all the proof texts to prove that yeah, don't you do should do, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, baptize adults. Right. I couldn't find any way to resolve that problem. So yeah, I, who's right? So I, I tried to uh, everything. Providentially, uh, I was asked to teach a class in church history, and I realized that I knew almost nothing about the history of wow. the church. So I, I began to buy History books. I've got probably thirty or forty history books about the (laughs) the church history, and as I read that, uh, I asked one of my friends who had been in the BRCI group. uh, He had become a a, a sort of a patristic scholar, and he said, "Well, have you read the early church fathers?" And I said, "No, I'd never even heard of them." (laughs) So bought the you know it's a forty volume set. And uh, started at the <laughs> earliest. I never do anything halfway. <laughs> I could just see you doing that. Uh, and I sat down with the apostolic fathers, and I started reading them. It was really difficult because it it it, uh, it they just their their understanding of things was so different. But here's what shocked me: they had a very very robust faith. I was expecting something that was kind of just they were trying to figure things out. It wasn't like that at all. Yeah, they they knew it. exactly what they were talking yep. about, and it was much, much richer and more robust than anything I had ever read. Yeah. And so I, I was reading and reading. I fell in love with that early faith that they had and their, and their belief system, but I knew nothing about it. Um, very briefly, I had a, a, a difference of opinion with the pastor of the Baptist church about free will, whether or not we have yeah, free will. A big he, issue over the yeah, centuries. He yeah. was a, a, a Calvinist, and he believed that we do not have free will. And I said, well, by that time I knew enough about the early church fathers. I said, you know, I, I, I cannot not believe in free will. Another conscience issue. Off yeah. they, they kicked me out again. You know, they they asked they, the, they got the elders together. They sent me a nice, well worded letter that, in, that that invited me to step down as an elder, wow. as a teacher, and as a member of their wow. church. So uh, I went to the Episcopal Church for a, a, a brief period. All right. So witnesses, agnostic, uh-huh. uh, Baptist, kind of Baptist, Episcopal, Episcopal. In the Episcopal Church, for the first time, I saw liturgy. Yeah, and I loved it. It yeah. was wonderful because our so the Episcopal Baptist Church, Church for those listening, like is is liturgy wise has very a lot similar, of similarities. Very similar to the they Catholic broke Church off from Catholicism. Yeah, but I knew nothing about the Catholic Church. Nothing. Uh, I, I I'm I'm a, well. Well, anyway. shame on us that you've lived your whole <laughs> life in all these places and like never had had. So I was asked to teach a class in the Episcopal Church on 
the catechism. And, uh, and their catechism is pretty orthodox, but it's only 28 yeah, it's pages short. long yeah. in the yeah. back of the Book of Common Prayer. Yeah. And then I, I happened to be at a used book sale, very attractive to me, <laughs> and I, <laughs> I, bought, I said to Gloria, hey, check this out. Here's this book, 900 pages, The Catechism of the Catholic Church. Wow. I bought it for 50 cents. I took it home. I read it. Uh, and I and I said, "Holy moly! I'm a Catholic. This is exactly what wow. I had read about from the early Church Fathers." And so that's how I became a Catholic Church, oh a Catholic my gosh. person. Now, so what you're going to have to do is invite me back on that's to explain wild. all some of the details about so, this. Yeah, it, I just I wanted. I was so excited that he could come today because to hear this the story. And there's a lot more to it. So I, you know, when when you first were coming. Um, I found out you were on, there's a show on EWTN, which is like the Catholic TV channel, called The Journey Home, mm-hmm. and Deacon Tom was interviewed on The Journey Home be- before you were a deacon. Oh, yeah. I'd only been a Catholic for about a year. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah. and just, I, I watched that and thought, okay, wow, this guy's moving to <laughs> Stillwater, this is great, um, and really has just been, as I mentioned earlier, has just been a blessing, both in, in Spanish and in English, of preaching and teaching and um, helping people through in RCIA and... Uh, anyway, so there's a whole lot more to this story, uh, which, you know, we got to the part of being Catholic, but not even. There's a lot more to tell, so we'll have to come back for round two. of becoming then a deacon. So anyway, that's just the, that's just the, the brief glimpse in the life of, of Deacon <laughs> Tom Cabine. All right, we're out of time, uh, but thank you, Deacon Tom, for coming. Thank you. On, uh, Thanks Pastor for inviting me. And uh, Father Kerry will be back next week, and we will uh, we'll fire it up. Hope everybody has a great week. Uh, Happy summer. God bless.